Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a Bible, let's jump right in. Uh, I've got quite a bit to cover. I'm going get, to get you out of here on time, but we have some stuff we need to do. We are continuing a pivotal pivotal series, season of our church where we are asking God to help us define who he's calling us to be, to draw some lines of distinction and to really set forth our development plan as we head into the future. And so we've been calling this, this time that we've been in as for me and my house. And we're taking our cue from Joshua and the Israelites when they stepped into the land of God's promise in a time of transition. Joshua called them to say, hey, you need to make a decision as to who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's been our heart's cry over these last few weeks. Today, we're going to return to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can hang out there. I'm going to cover a ton of scripture today. You are going to drink from a scripture fire hydrant, but you really only need to just leave your Bible at Hebrews 12. So that's, that's, that's all the work I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to lean in and pay attention. Hebrews 12 says this, it says, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Would you pray with me one more time, Father, as we step into this word? God, would you speak to us? Would you speak? We just say your words are life. Your words are truth. Your word is peace. Would you speak to us? Would you deposit a reverence for your word deep in us as a people, we pray? Lord, would you bind the voice of confusion? Would you bind the voice of the enemy in condemnation? And Lord, would we hear a clear call to be people of your word? And we pray this in Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. Everybody said Amen, amen. In 19, or sorry, 1898, an author named H.G. Wells wrote a book called War of the Worlds. Anybody know the book War of the Worlds? At the turn of the 20th century, he wrote the book, and he imagined in his book a day where Martian invaders would come from Mars, and they would come, and some of you are already checking out. You're like, we're on aliens already, okay. Where Martian invaders would come in and invade the world and wreak destruction on humanity. And it's this really exciting, wild sci-fi ride that kind of opened up an entire genre of fiction that even to this day, there's a lot of infatuation and excitement around the topic of alien invaders. In fact, today in the 21st century, there's more conversation about UFOs and UAPs than we've ever had before. And I'd love to get on a whole tangent about UFOs and aliens, and maybe someday we'll talk about it. But I, don't, I didn't bring my tinfoil hat today, so we're going to move on from that. But Wells kind of had this imaginary thought of invaders from the outside coming in to bring destruction. But in 1948, a man named George Orwell wrote a book, not 
imagining that the invasion was going to be from aliens that brought destruction. Orwell's imagination, Orwell's main thought was that it was actually going to be ideas that invade humanity and bring destruction, not aliens. Ideas through words. You see, Orwell, he wrote this book called 1984. And in it, it's this concept of how ideologies and ideas can so shape and control the lives of human beings that it can bring absolute destruction upon us. He wasn't concerned about aliens. He was concerned about the power of words, the power of ideas, the power of ideologies. You see, Orwell had lived through the First and Second World Wars. He'd lived through the rise of Soviet Russia. He'd seen the concentration camps of Nazi Germany and how through the power of words and rhetoric and propaganda, an entire nation had been coerced into going along with some of the most atrocious things that have ever happened in human history. It was words that did that. And he saw Soviet Russia do the same thing from a different ideological standpoint, but nonetheless, massive genocides and awful oppression he saw begin to take place. And so in 1948, or 1948, he wrote this book, 1984. And he imagined this world where his, his main protagonist, Winston, was living under the thumb of a totalitarian regime in the, in the nation of Oceania. And this one party ruled with an iron fist over all the people. And they, they, they used this terminology that Big Brother is watching. If you ever heard the term Big Brother, this is where it came from. George Orwell invented it. And in the book, we find that through the redefinition of language, they called it Newspeak, where the government and the rulers would take words and they would redefine and reinvent the meaning of words so as to manipulate people. And through the rewriting and retelling of history, the party controlled the people and they were living in the most destructive and deplorable times. This is the story that Orwell tells. In fact, he, he describes Oceana and he says that every record in Oceana has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed and every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. They don't learn from history anymore. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. And if all others accepted the lies that the party told, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past ran the party slogan, controls the future, and who controls the present controls the past. Has anybody ever read 1984? If you want a chilling look at some of the things that are happening in our day, I'd recommend you read it. But I'm not telling you about 1984 because I want to totally just take us down this tangent. I'm telling you about this because Christians and Orwell share a belief. And that is this, that there is nothing as powerful as words. There is nothing as powerful in heaven or on earth as words. And that the war of the world is actually a war of the words. That the conflict that you and I, at the center of the conflict that you and I have to walk through in this world of which there is plenty conflict that we can see and we can experience and we can feel, at the center of it, Orwell says, and at the center of it, the Bible says, are words. Words. The Bible says that, that words have the power of life and death. 
and the power of life and death. And the reason for this is because God is a God of words. He's a God who speaks. In fact, if we go back and we go back to Genesis and we, we read the origin story of all things according to the Bible, the Bible says that in the beginning the earth was formless and void. And then it said, and the Lord said, let there be light. And you know the rest? And there was and there was light. You need to read your Bible, some of you. God is a speaking God. In the beginning, God created through words. Words have the power of life. And then you see, if we could flip it to the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that God made man. We, talk, we talked about this weeks ago. Made man in his image. God made us to bear his image, to be like him. And so because he made us like him, we are the only species, the only animals. We're not just animals, though. We'll talk about that some other day. But we're the only created Beings that have the power of words. It's because we're created in his image. In fact, if you read what God had Adam do, first thing God had Adam do, do you know what it was? He says, name the animals, use your words, bring order. Bring order to this creation through words. The Bible says words have the power of life and death. And we see, if you flip to page 3 or chapter 3 of Genesis of our origin story, It's words that bring destruction. Do you know the story? The enemy comes, the serpent comes in the garden, and it tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. And he said to the woman, there it is, words. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, if you knew what God had said the page before, God did not say you can't eat from any tree, did he? God said, just don't eat from that tree. But what the enemy tries to do, the enemy, he attacks us not through the force of physicality. He attacks us through the force of lies. Jesus said that you are the father of lies. You've been a liar since the beginning. You see, he targets truth. That's what the enemy does. And so right at the beginning, we see the destruction and sin enter the world, not through force, but through thoughts through seeds, through words that the enemy had planted. You see what he does? He first distorts what God had said. He comes in and just calls question into what God had said. He wanted to see. He tests her and says, did God really say that? But, but we find out Eve actually knew what God had said. No, the woman said, we may eat fruit from all the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat from that particular tree in the middle of the garden. And if you do, you'll touch it or die. And Then he goes on, and the next temptation comes in, and Satan says, oh, you will certainly not die. So first he tries to distort the word. Then he tries to deny the word. Oh, no, 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 you won't die. You won't die. And then look what he does. He goes further, he says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good And evil. He tries to defy God's word. And this is the attack the enemy has done since the beginning. This is what he's doing to you. This is what he's doing to the church. He tries to distort the truth of God's word, get it, and then deny the truth of God's word, and cause us to defy the truth of God's word. And then we know the rest of the story. Some of you, don't you? What happens? Eve takes the fruit. She eats it and she shares it with Adam and rebellion and sin enters our story. And then as you flip the pages of Genesis, you see the escalation of sinfulness. And it begins in chapter four where 
Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, what happens? Cain kills Abel, and you see this conflict between humans. Destruction, warfare begins right then and there in the first family through words. And then we find this dramatic moment in in Genesis 4 where Cain's dead, and the Bible says that God heard Cain's blood cry out from the ground. It spoke to him. Words. And then if you were to fast forward to Genesis chapter 11, what do we find? We find more words. The Tower of Babel. Do you know the story? Human beings had figured out how to engineer communication in such a way where they were able to try to build a tower to reach the heavens, to to make their own superiority. And then we find God comes down, and what's he do? He scrambles their words. Now, I used to think that was, was God insecure. Was God insecure? Why was he doing this? But in fact, he said they will be capable of anything, which meant any terrible destruction. These words have the power of life and death. And the gospel is a gospel. The good news that we believe is a gospel of words. It's words. It's news. We believe Jesus is the word. The Bible says in the beginning, the word was God and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he spoke a better word over us. Jesus spoke a word of redemption and hope and renewal. Amen? And then in Acts chapter 2, we talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. In Acts chapter 2, what happens? The people of God are equipped with tongues of fire and they spoke in other languages. God enabled their words. See, this is a whole study on words. And why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because according to the Bible and according to the gospel, the words that you hear and the words that you hold are the difference between life and death. That the war over your life is is a war of words. It's whose word do you hold and whose word do you trust? What words are the words of truth? What words are the words of salvation? Whose word do you trust? Words are the difference between life and death. The great question we have to answer is what word have you believed? What word have you believed? Now, we are living in a time where the words are at war in our world, aren't they? I mean, what an unbelievable time we live in. I I was thinking about it. You know, I wonder, some of the conflicts and the things that we're experiencing in our world today aren't new. There's nothing new under the sun. But the, the slight difference, I think, of our day is, if there was ever a time in human history since the Tower of Babel where we were getting close to having, you know, Babelic abilities, we're there now. Because of the internet, because of the information age, and the fact that we're all networked and we have Google Translate on our phone, the barriers that were once there are no longer there. And so human beings' ability to cooperate unto destruction is at an all-time high. It's at an all-time high, and we're seeing the destructiveness of wild words and the chaos that can ensue. We're living in a time of, again, the redefinition of words that used to mean this for, for ages, and now we're saying, ah, let's make it mean this. We're seeing the rewriting of history and the recontextualization of history. I mean, do some research. Look up the 1619 Project, how it's trying to reframe how Americans understand their own history. We're reshaping it. We're redefining it. There are new pronouns. We're changing grammar. 
There's relative truth. You live your truth. I live my truth. Well, 40 years ago, the idea of truth being this relative thing that you can just kind of paint with any broad stroke is, well, I mean, truth is inherently not relative, but now we're redefining those words. We live in a time of invented words, not just slang on phones, but new grammar. We live in a time of reinventing history. We live in a time of hyper-political correctness. I mean, talk about 1984, where the bully of political correctness is coercing and pushing humanity to do its will, even when it defies all logic. Like, how many times have you seen us as human beings, and I'm not picking on any particular person, where we are saying things to be true that we know deep down aren't actually true? It's like we've lost common sense. In fact, there's this, there's this cool quote in 1984 where Orwell says that the heresy of heresies was common sense. You can't question things when it comes from the party. You just got to go with it. We're living in a time that, I mean, just the... the oxymorons that we're living out right now. I mean, you, you think about like anti-racism. Anti-racism. You looked into that? The ideology is that we're going to fight racism by using racism. Or, or, or tolerance. We're so tolerant, we're going to be intolerant of this. Like the, the, the ideologies. I mean, and you look into Antifa, the anti-fascists. We're so against fascism that we're going to be fascist in our anti-fascistness. It's crazy. I mean, we live in a time of cancel culture, critical theory, gender studies and gender theory where there's this spectrum. But even, and even to the degree where we will willfully ignore even science if it doesn't fit the narrative of what political correctness says. Words, words. These are intense times to be sure and unprecedented. And the, the internet and social media has thrown gasoline on the fire of human words, hasn't it? I mean, we, now, now words and information travel so fast. My friend Kerry Newhoff, he said that we live in an age where opinions, where opinions are strongly held and weakly formed. And that's the time we live in. And now, the world's going to be the world, isn't it? And I tell you all this, though, to tell you I'm not super concerned primarily. My primary concern isn't the ideologies of the world, but my primary concern is how these ideologies and how certain words are starting to affect and shape the church. See, the war of the words isn't just affecting our world. It's affecting the church. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Like, like the, the redefinition of language? The changing of standards? Things that for centuries Christians have held on to, or now we're saying, ah, oh, we're going to revise that. We're going to ignore that. We are in a time, and I've noticed this as a pastor, so many people that I encounter that would call themselves Christians either don't know what the word says or they don't care. Like I've seen that so many times. I've seen people leave our church because of a certain stance we take or a certain thing that we're saying, hey, this is what we believe to be true. And then when I have a conversation with them, they don't want to have the conversation around the word. They want to have the conversation around their thoughts and how they feel. People either don't know or they don't care. I have been concerned as of late, and this is the reason I'm bringing all this up. I've been concerned because I think that Christians, and I think we're all prone to this, 
are often more shaped by the world than the word. And that the powers and the ideologies and principles of this world are slowly leaking into the church. And they're anti-biblical. Like how many Facebook posts do you share or like that if you actually knew the scripture, you would know that is an assault to the truth of God? Like you think of some of the ideologies of the world. You're perfect just the way you are. Like. Right? The Bible says, actually, no, you've been created in the image and you are infinitely valuable. That part's true, but you are broken you are lost, you are blind, in need of a savior. The world, says, the world says, hey, you do you. Stay true to yourself. That sounds good, doesn't it? Like, yeah, who are you to tell me I can't be me? The, wor- the word says, die to yourself. Die to yourself that you may live in Christ. The world right now is celebrating pride. I mean, celebrating it, a whole month where we celebrate pride. And what I'm about to say is not, I'm not even talking about sexuality here. I'm talking about the concept of pride. Do you know that pride is the original sin? And if you think I'm talking about sexuality, I'm not. You're missing the point entirely. How can the people of God who know their Bible wave the banner that says pride? That is secular humanism. It's secular humanism. I'm not talking about sexuality. Let me talk about sexuality, though. The world says your sexuality is the most sacred, important thing about you. The Word doesn't. The Word says it's important. The Word says sex is good. But it also says, like Paul says, actually it's better to be celibate and not married like me. You can do more for Jesus. Like the the Word does not elevate sexuality the same way the world does. Now, some of you are really uncomfortable. And, and, I'm, and I, let me just press in here and, and, and call into question what would make you uncomfortable. Are you more uncomfortable with the people who might be listening to me right now that might be offended? Or are you uncomfortable by how that offends God? Love is love, the world says. The world says, the world says, love is love. The word says, this is love. This is how God defines love. Do you know the word? Do we know the word? Like, have we actually let this be our authority? And I think we are in a time right now where the church is is at a crisis moment. And I was reminded in like Revelation, we've been preaching through Revelation. We'll get back into it in the summer. I was reminded in Revelation where Jesus speaks to the church in Pergamum and he says, you have tolerated the ideologies of the Nicolaitans, false doctrines and false ideologies. And I am going to come against you with the word of my mouth and I'm going to bring division. I'm going to cut that out of the church. And I actually think we're at a place right now in this moment and this window where God is bringing a drawing line that the cost to be Christian is just going to be too high for some people. And the Lord is carving a line and saying, will you stand with my word or won't you? But you can't straddle both. You can't straddle the word and the world and make them both fit. You can only have, like Jesus said, one master. You'll either love the one and hate the other or serve the one and love the other or hate the other. So the question I want to ask you is whose word are you living by? Whose word are you or are we as a church living by? Is it our feelings? Is it our thoughts? Is it our own understanding 
Is it the science in the words of uh, Fauci? Is it your experiences? Is it your fears, your friends, your family, your culture, mainstream culture? Or is it the word of God? And I just want to lay this down here today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time on it again next week because we have more to cover. But here, let me just declare this loud and strong in, in this moment and plant this in the ground. That as for me and my house, as for Brent Ingersoll and his house, as for King's Church and this house, we will be people of the word of God. Now listen, we will be people of the word of God. If he says it, that's our authority. His word is our trump card. His word is the final say and the first say. His word is the smoking gun. His word is the plan. His word is the blueprint. His word is the constitution. His word is the map. His word is everything to us. And all of the conversations that we navigate relationally and the decisions that we make have got to be founded and funded by the word of God, period. As for me and my house, we will be people of the word. We have a, we have a saying around here of one of our values. We are on the word people. We stake our lives on the word of God, our unshakable foundation, food for our souls and our weapon in the battle. The word of God is paramount to us. And I believe that the Lord is doing a work in the church, especially in the West, to bring us back to a humble, simple yieldedness to the authority of God's word in the church. To bring back reverence for the word. Like if God says it, it's holy. It's holy. It's the word of God, and we talk about it so trivially and trite, like, like well, we take it or leave it. or like To, to think the times I've, I've heard people say, and even myself, like, I don't accept that. Who are we to not accept what God has said? We must hold to the word because he who holds to the word wins the word, wins the war of the words. I want to give us just a couple of concepts about the word today to, to kind of start to frame in why this is so powerful and so important and what it looks like and how to win the war of the words. Are you ready? We're going, to, we're going to fly through this, but there's a bunch of scripture I want you to see. Here's what you need to understand about God's word. First and foremost, God's word is the, say it, it's the truth. God, we believe, and this is a faith position. Let me just say to some of you who are maybe skeptics, you're not sure about this. You have a faith position. There are reasons for what you believe. We have reasons for what we believe. And first and foremost, we have yielded to the fact that God's word, what he has said, the Holy Bible is the truth. God's word is, and to use common language, our truth. That's our truth. I'm, li I'm, I'm not living my truth. I want to live his truth. My truth sucks. And is broken and selfish and awful. Man, God's truth will set you free. God's word is authoritative. It is our ultimate, ultimate authority. The ultimate authority. We want to be people of the book. Amen? What does it mean? What do I mean when I say the word of God? Well, we'll break this down more later probably next week, but the word of God, what does it mean? The Bible really defines God's word as the, his active manifest power. It's the expression of his will. It's his will made manifest. That's what his word is. 
And we see the Bible reveals the word three primary ways through the scripture. We believe this is authoritative and inerrant. All scripture is God-breathed. For us, the whole Bible is red letter. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, the, you know, the red letters you know what I'm talking about? Like we said, the letters of Jesus in red to show you when Jesus was speaking. Well, we actually believe this whole thing is Jesus speaking. Amen? So the scripture, the scripture, it's the spirit. The spirit speaks. We're going to talk more about that next week. And ultimately, the word is revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. That's what the word of God is. Now, what I mean by the word is true? And I want to buckle up. Buckle up here. But this is what it means to, um, to believe that the word is true. Here's, here's how we would break this down. The, the word being true means that it's accurate. It's perfect. It's flawless. It's ineffable. I love that term. It's like, it's like beyond, it's untouchable. The psalmist says, for the word of the Lord holds true, it's true. We can trust everything he does. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is, say it. There's nothing in here that's not intended to be in here. It's perfect. Second Samuel says, as for God's way is, as, God, as for God his way is perfect, the Lord's word is flawless. Now, why do I tell you this? Because... For you to believe that the word is true means that there are no additions, there are no amendments, there are no revisions, there are no parts that like, oh, that doesn't apply today. It was perfect when he said it. And God is unchanging. So we don't get to determine, oh, that that part doesn't matter right now. It's all perfect. All the time, in every season. We don't get to redefine it. We don't get to amend the history. Even the hard parts, even the hard parts in the scripture, God's word is true. God's word is true. What else does it mean? It means that it's transcendent, unfailing, enduring, everlasting. It goes beyond the boundaries of the things that we are bounded by. The word does. First and foremost, let me just press this on us. You know, human beings who live in the 21st century West who have a lot of self-assurance. Let me just mention the fact that God's words and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It goes beyond our understanding. Yours and my understanding are not authoritative. And there's something that has to happen in the heart of every believer where we start, we just yield ourselves and say, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, your ways are higher than my ways, and I will, not, I will not call you into question on things that I just don't understand. Psalm 119 says, forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heaven. It's an eternal word, and I just want to press that. Because there is a growing and creeping power happening in the church that is trying to de deny that. It's trying to make the word feel temporary, doesn't it? To change with the times, to get modern. God's word is not modern or ancient. It's eternal. It is. It just is. And so the question, do you know his word and do you trust his word? Do you know, you know how Jesus overcame the enemy? Do you know how he did? The word. The word. Not only because he is the word, but he knew the word. Do you remember when the, the devil came and tempted Jesus in the very same way that Adam and Eve failed? Jesus defeated the devil by saying what? It is written. It is written. It is written. He held on to the word. Our victory is in our ability to hold to the word. Period. 
And that's what it means to be Christian. I just want to, I hope the spirit is like raising something up in your spirit that's just reminding you, yes, yes, I don't have to understand it. And yes, it, it, it probably won't just line up nice and neat and tidy with culture. Would you want a God that is that small? That can just, oh, let me just move over here. Is that not politically correct? Let me just change this. You know, other religions have like a, like the, like the Mormons have a prophet that can like edit the Book of Mormon. Y'all, we don't. It's one and done. Take it or leave it. That's it. The Bible is what the Bible is. Do you know the word and do you trust it? God's word is our truth. Number two, we're going we're to fly here. God's word is, say it. It's life. It's not just the truth, but it is the word that leads to life. It's the power unto life. It's the animated word. God's word brings things to life. Can I get an amen? God's word. He can speak and things happen. He can speak into nothing and make something. He can speak to dead things and bring them to life. He can speak to bound things and set them free. He is a life giver and he does that through his word. That's who he is and that's what he does. God's word brings life. Let me, let me give you some ways. First and foremost, God's word creates. God's word creates. Do you know that we have the power just by quoting and speaking and singing and proclaiming God's word over ourselves to create reality? It's incredible. But a lot of the time, if you're like me, you'll find yourself venting your frustration Man, couldn't, could, wouldn't we do well to learn how to vent our faith? Just to vent the word? It creates. The word of God creates. And God said, let there be. And it was. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. Jesus said, peace, be still. And it was. I love it. God's word creates. God's word sustains he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Take a breath, everybody. Take a breath in. Exhale. Feel your pulse. Do you know why that's beating? Because he said so. Beat, 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 beat. Breathe, 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 breathe. Day, night, day, night. God upholds the universe by his word. Period. It transforms. It changes things. God transforms things. Sanctify them by your truth. Jesus said your word is truth. Paul taught us that everything created by God is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. When God speaks over something, even if it was destroyed, he brings redemption. He brings transformation. How many of you know God has transformed me by his word? He has. I have changed. Am I, a, am I a finished product? No. But I have seen God do work in me. And it's been because he's spoken new life and transformation into me. God's word transforms us. You know what else it does? It guides us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yeah, you find the times confusing? Do you find the times confusing online? Like, I, 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 everything changes on, the day, on a daily basis. The science changes. The guidelines changes. Change, values change. The news cycle, well, that never changed. It always says Trump, even like how long after he's been not, anyway. 
But the word, the word is our guide. It's the lamp to our feet. The word saves us. It saves us. The word heals us. The word is healing power. God's word, it also builds. Do you know that God's word has the power to build up? Have you ever had someone speak something into your life and it came true, like in faith? Have you ever received the prophetic word? I've had people, I, I am standing here today because I'm the product of people who spoke in faith over me. They spoke the word of faith over me. I, I'll never forget being at a camp one time and, and having, a, having a pastor come up and look me in the eyes, probably 14, just saying, you're going to do great things for God. And it built a whole reality. God's word builds. It also tears down. Are you thankful for a God who has the power to tear down strongholds? to break chains, to uproot. His word does that. His word prospers us. This is the ultimate thing. Psalm 1, 3 says, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who, who meditates, whose, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he say it. The word brings prosperity. True prosperity, not superficial prosperity, right? Like, remember, the word says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. It says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. But the word tells us it'll bring about prosperity, prosperity. Show me a person who is full of the word of God, and I'll show you someone who is full of contentment, full of peace, full of hope, full of gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what the word does. It prospers us. It bears fruit. Number three, I'm almost done. Number three, we win the war of the words when we realize God's word isn't just true and it doesn't just bring life. It's actually the better word. In all of the competing words of this world that are trying to get your affection and to get your allegiance, God's word is the better word. It's the word of grace. It's the word spoken over you even when you don't deserve it. It's not actually equality. God actually gives us what we don't deserve. God's word is grace. It augments things. It makes things better. God's word gives us more than we deserve, not what we deserve. Amen? God's word gives us more than we ask. He gives us more than we imagine. He gives us more than we need. He gives us what's better. And this is what the Hebrew writer was getting at. He said, you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks, say it, a better word. A better word than the blood of Abel. What what does the blood of Abel speak? It's It's the blood of death and humanity, of human destruction. The blood of Abel speaks condemnation, the guilt of of, of Cain. It speaks shame. It speaks violence. It speaks strife. It speaks jealousy. It speaks division. It speaks hate. That's That's the voice of the blood of Abel. Sounds like the story of humanity, doesn't it? See, the blood of Abel speaks condemnation, guilt, and shame, but the blood of Jesus speaks vindication, forgiveness, righteousness in the place of shame. The blood of Jesus 
where, Cain, where Abel's blood speaks violence and strife, the blood of Jesus speaks peace and reconciliation, unity and equality. The blood of Abel speaks jealousy and division. The blood of Jesus speaks love, and true acceptance, true identity. The blood of Abel speaks hate and dehumanization. The blood of Jesus speaks love and acceptance, redemption, restoration. The blood of Cain, the blood of Abel speaks deconstruction and despair and death. And the blood of Jesus speaks hope and life and new creation. Jesus is the better word. And let me just speak to someone here today. Like what you're looking for in this world is not, you're not looking for a better car. You're looking for a better word that satisfies You know, you're, not, you're not looking for a better job or better pay. You're looking for a better word that, set, that lets you rest in who God is. You're not looking for a better achievement. You're looking for a better word. You need a better word over your past. You need a better word over your shame, a better word over your insecurity, a better word over your anxiety, a better word over your identity, a better word over your future and your destiny, over your eternity, and Jesus is the better word. This is why we trust him. It's not just because it's true, but it's because the word of Christ, the word of God is better. It's better. It says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse him who speaks. Let me just ask this question to you today. And I just felt like the Lord just wanted to kind of draw this line and, and just bring some sobriety maybe to some of you. Whose word do you trust? Is it your feelings, your fears, your friends? Is it the word of culture? Is it the word of economics? Is it the word of politics? Is it the word of some author? Or is it the word of God? Let me just share in closing, I'll just share a little testimony. In 2007, I had what I would describe as a crisis of faith. And I was a pastor here at that time. But that was the first time where really, like I was late in the game maybe of being like a, a young man and really questioning the beliefs that I grew up with. Every, every kid that grows up in a Christian home is going to have to go through that time where they wrestle through their beliefs and have to come out the other side with conviction. And I, I went into that time in 2007. There was a whole bunch of Christian leaders coming out with just sort of some really cool stuff, some good stuff, and then some stuff that really like became a bit of a snare for me anyway and for actually many Christians even since then. But I remember reading a book uh, by, by a, a Christian author at the time. And in it, he talked about like how rigid Christians can be about what they believe. And he talked about how I like to build my faith not so much with bricks and mortar, but with springs. I kind of want to make a trampoline out of my faith, he said. Because that way, you know, you can bounce on it. It's a lot more fun. And he said, and if you have a spring that you take out, like some doctrinal thing or something in the Bible that you're not really sure of. You can take it out, but you can still bounce. I thought, oh, this is awesome. And so I sort of went with that for, for about a year, and I started going down this road of like really wild, out there, unorthodox Christian, Christianity, reading books that 
Now I look back and say, that's flat out heresy. But I found myself, the further I went down this road of deconstruction and taking out the springs of the trampoline, so to speak, that I had very little to bounce on. And then I got to this point where all the springs were gone and I felt doubt creeping in to the fundamental foundational things. Like it wasn't even the springs at this point. It was the legs that hold the trampoline up. Like, do I trust that the scripture's true? Do I believe it's authoritative or I just think a bunch of guys wrote this over history and it's archaic and outdated. And I don't know if any of you have ever had that thought, but it was plaguing me. And I was getting to this place and it was robbing my faith, robbing my joy, even as I did ministry. I had this ongoing crisis of faith happening because of the seed of doubt in the word of God. And I remember having this moment with the Lord where I I was down to a very little bit of faith left. And I had this moment with God where I just decided, you know what? The more I pull at threads of this and the more I doubt that God's word is true, the more miserable I am becoming, the less fruitful I am. And for whatever reason, if I look back at how I was before I went down this journey, I was a better human being, a better person, a better pastor, and more healthy than I am now. And with that, I made a decision right there where it's like, I am going to yield my intellect first. And I'm going to doubt my doubts, and I'm going to set that aside, and I am making a decision today to simply trust that this is true. And if I don't understand parts of it, or if parts of it don't line up neat and tidy with culture, or if parts of it are even offensive to parts of me, I am making a decision to say, God, this is your word, and I will humble myself before it. And I made a decision in that day, and I have learned something to be true. Little songs that I sung as a kid that have proven to be true, like, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to hear, thus saith the Lord. There is a power that comes when we simply say, God, if you said it, I believe it. And your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your words are are higher than my words. And I will, regardless of the cost, I don't care what it does to me culturally. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care if they call me old-fashioned or outdated. They can call me what they want. But as for me, I will stand on this. And I'll tell you what, it is not to the degree in my life since then. What are we, 2007? That's a long time ago. To the degree that I have held true to this truth is the level of fruitfulness and satisfaction I've had in my life. No more, no less. It is all here. It is the truth of God's word that brings life. So let me ask you the question. Whose word do you trust? Some of you need to repent. Can I just call it for what it is? It is unbelief. And it's at the heart of what the enemy is trying to attack. He is trying to call into question what God has said and furthermore, God's goodness. Oh, God doesn't want you to do that. Or God would never say that. 
the enemy says. Oh, God doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he knows you'll be like God. It's a seed of doubt of God's goodness. And God is calling his church to turn back and say, God, your word is true and your word is good. And as for me and my house, we will be people of the word of God. We will get it in our minds. We will get it in our heads. We will get it in our hands. We will get it in our homes. We will get it in our church. We will be people of the word of God. Your word will define me and refine me and frame me in and hold me up and propel me forward. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is the weapon I hold in this warfare. Your word is the hope that I have for the future. Your word is my firm foundation. It is the truth on which I stand. It is the rock that will not be moved. The word of God. So I just want to pray for us today. I'm going, to, I'm going to dismiss you, but I think there's some repentance that needs to happen in the church. And I think the church that God is going to be building into the future is going to be a church that is grounded and founded on his word. And let me just say, as a pastor, I have watched our church flourish in the last decade. You know why? Because we're a Bible church. Because we do what it says to the best of our ability. And when we find out that we're in error because the Bible reveals something to us, we repent. And if you look at the churches that are loose and light on this, they're dying. They are dying. But as for me and my house, we will stand on the word of God. And maybe for some of you, you're at this place where you're like, you know what? I, I, that's, that's a bridge too far. Maybe. I hope not. Because this is the way of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one comes, no one enters the heavenlies except through me. It is an exclusive entry point through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge, Lord. And we thank you, God, that your word is true and we can trust it. We thank you that your word is life it sets us free, it gives us hope, it builds, it restores. Lord, we thank you that your word is better. We thank you that you've given us what we have not deserved. We thank you that you've spoken a better word over our past, you've spoken a better word over our present, and you've spoken a better word over our future. We thank you for the word that says you, you have redeemed our past. We thank you that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have called us forward to a bright future. We thank you, Lord, that you have said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you. Lord, I thank you that your word is spoken over us as a people, that as we stay true and hold true and hold fast to your word, you will bring us to a place where there is no more tears, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. But you will be with us and you will be our God and we will be your people. Father, I pray for a realignment Lord, I ask for reverence to go forth in the church. Lord, would we not take lightly your word? God, help us. Help us learn it. Help us live it. Help us love it. Help us be creatures, be people of the word. The word in us, the word through us that redeems all things. We thank you for the gift of your perfect word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.